right, well, we are continuing in the book of Hebrews today. If you want to turn your Bible to uh, chapter 11 and hold your place at uh, verse uh, 23, uh, we will get there in just a, a few minutes. One of the things I love about the Bible is how honest it is, how real it is. I, I would imagine if you've read the Bible very much, you have identified this as something that is true about the Bible. It, it tells about people and life in all of the complexity that those topics warrant. Some of the greatest figures, some of the greatest people in the Bible have extremely unflattering things shared about their lives in the pages of Scripture. And I just find that uh, fascinating. You know, shepherd boy David becomes giant slayer David, becomes King David. He, he is one of the towering figures in the Bible. He is a man that God says of him, he is a man after my own heart. And yet the Bible tells us of his adultery and, and his murder, how he had the husband of Bathsheba killed. The, the Bible doesn't spin reality, but it tells us the hard truth. It tells us how things really are uh, in life, how things really are with people. It tells us of the pettiness and the competition that existed among the disciples of Jesus, how they cared about things like, which one of us is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Unflattering information about otherwise commendable men is not swept under the rug by the Bible, but it is openly acknowledged and dealt with. It tells of the disbelief of the disciples when the two Marys first report the resurrection. It tells about disagreements among early leaders in the church that were so serious that they could no longer work together or in some situations where they came to public confrontations with each other. The Bible is real. The Bible is honest. It presents things as they really are. No spin in the Bible. And another way it does this is being brutally honest about life itself and being brutally honest about following Jesus. About life, Scripture tells us things like this, and we could look at a whole host of Scriptures like this one. This is just one that I picked. It says things like this, Job 14, 1, man that is born of woman is of few days, and what? Who knows? Full <laughs> of trouble full of trouble. The Bible is honest. The Bible is real. It tells it like it is about following Jesus. Jesus himself said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, they'll lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, they will save it. The Bible's honest, brutally honest. Life is going to have a lot of trouble. Following Jesus is a call to sacrifice. Following Jesus is a call to laying down your life. It's honest. It's real. The Apostle Paul 
acknowledged this in Philippians 4, 11 through 13 when he wrote these words, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. If you have ever heard that last verse used as sort of like a verse of unlimited power for the Christian, like just set your mind to it and you can do whatever you want to do, you've heard that verse misused. What Paul said is whether things are going well for me in life or things are not going well for me at all, I can get through either of those circumstances because God gives me strength. That is the real meaning of Philippians 4, 13. Paul had seasons where all was well. He had plenty. He was well fed. And he had seasons where he was in want. He was hungry. This is an acknowledgement that following Jesus doesn't mean everything will always go well with us. In fact, the witness of Scripture is that often faith in God, faith in Christ actually brings difficulty into our lives. What a What a marketing campaign. (laughs) The Bible is real. It's honest. It's not like the televangelist who promises you that if you come to faith in Jesus, all will be well with you. It tells the truth. Life is a blessing, but it's full of trouble. And following Jesus is costly. And today, as we continue in Hebrews 11 this faith hall of fame. We're going to see this demonstrated in the lives of the heroes of faith because we're going to see within their lives that they had great accomplishments. They had moments where they experienced incredible victories. They had times when they came out on top. Victory was theirs. But then there were other moments and there were other people that the situation was very different. They had times of great hardship. They endured horrible loss where the worst thing imaginable became their reality. And here's why they're in the Faith Hall of Fame. Because whether their story was one of victory and triumph or one where they experienced the worst Things imaginable, their faith endured. I've titled today's message, Great Things, Horrible Things, and Enduring Faith. Let's look at Hebrews eleven twenty three through 40. I'll read, you follow along as I do. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid Of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. 
By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. What, a, what an amazing section of Scripture. In verses 23 through the first part of verse 35, we see a lot of great things being achieved a lot of great things, a lot of great accomplishment, a lot of victories. Yes, there are challenges in those verses, but those verses deal primarily with great things that God's people accomplished by faith. The first hero of the faith that we see in those verses is Moses, and we should add, and his parents. You may remember that at the time Moses was born, the children of Israel were living in Egypt and Pharaoh had issued an edict that firstborn Jewish males were to be killed. Moses' parents defied the edict. They hid Moses in a basket on the Nile River for three months. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that eventually uh, they were discovered by Pharaoh's daughter who had mercy on Moses and took him as her own son. And so Moses grew up in the household of Pharaoh with all of the privileges that came with that. But as verse 23 says, he was no ordinary child. He had been chosen by God to lead his people out of Egyptian bondage. And so it came to the point in Moses' life where he had to make a choice to continue as part of the household of Pharaoh with all the earthly benefits and privileges that came with that, or to reject all of that and obey God's calling on his life, identify and inside with his persecuted people. 
Moses chose the side of God and his people. He rejected the privileges of Egypt. Think about all of the things that Moses rejected that he gave up in, in, in turning away from Pharaoh and his house and going to be with his people and to lead his people. He rejected uh, the fame of Egypt. He was, he was a part of the most famous family in Egypt. He repudiated the pleasures of Egypt. He exchanged them for suffering with the people of God. He rejected the treasures of Egypt. He, he lived in a household that I think I can confidently say would have been the, the wealthiest household in the world at that point. Faith enabled him to see the treasures of Egypt were worthless in the light of eternity. He renounced Egypt's monarch, even though doing so was going to invite the wrath of Pharaoh. And think about what this means. It means that he rejected political power for faithfulness to God and the people of God. And finally, he rejected the religion of Egypt for fidelity to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, in the story of Moses leading Israel's exodus from Egypt, there's no doubt there is a lot of difficulty in that story. But there are so many great things in that story, so many victories, so many great accomplishments that were achieved throughout that entire story. And I'm not going to go through all of those today. The author of Hebrews doesn't either, but I just want to point out a few things. Verse 27, by faith, Moses left Egypt. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that when the firstborn Egyptians died during the plagues that God sent on Egypt, the firstborn of Israel were all spared. By faith, the author reminds us, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to do the same, what happened? They died. We can really summarize everything that happened in the life of Moses by saying this, by faith, God delivered Israel from Egypt. Great accomplishments achieved by the people of God. Great miracles were performed. We could go on and on and on about the stories of the great things that happened during that time. Later on in these stories, by faith the walls of Jericho fell, the author tells us. By faith the prostitute Rahab was not killed when she welcomed the Jewish spies. Great accomplishments during the life of Moses, during the exodus. And then verse 32 goes on and gives a representative list of those who by faith achieved great things. The author says, I don't have time to tell about. And then he, he just lists some names. Gideon. What great things were accomplished by Gideon. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David. Killed Goliath. Samuel and the prophets who through faith Conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised. Let, let that list of things in that uh, section of our text really sink in. Think of the great things that they accomplished. They conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. So we've talked throughout this series that 
you know, so much of what we look forward to, we're not going to realize until Jesus returns. But there are promises that we receive the fulfillment of in this life here and now. Promises like the walls of Jericho are going to fall and they marched around the walls for seven days and then the walls fell. They gained what was promised in the here and now. Shut the mouths of lions. Daniel, remember Daniel in the lion's den? How many remember Daniel in the lion's den? All right, very good. Quench the fury of the flames. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Remember? Okay. Escape the edge of the sword. Weakness turned to strength became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies and even saw their dead raised to life. Each one of those has a specific story attached to it. Some of those references have multiple stories tied to them. Examples of how by faith the people of God accomplished great things in the here and now. Enemies were defeated, victory was achieved, They were on top of the world by faith. And throughout the Bible, we find that when great things are accomplished by faith, there is a danger that accompanies those accomplishments. And here it is. The people of God face the temptation to believe that they did those things in their own strength. Whenever the people of God experienced these times of great accomplishments, they were tempted. And sometimes throughout the history of Israel, they gave in to the temptation to begin to believe that they did it in their own strength. Have you noticed this tendency in your own life? I mean, our circumstances are very different than theirs. Not too many of us have stopped the mouths of lions or quenched the fury of the flames. But have you noticed that when life is going pretty well, when you kind of feel like you Uh, have all your ducks in a row, and I'm sure a lot of you say, I don't know what that feels like. Uh, I I don't really either, but, but I can imagine what it feels like to have all your ducks in a row. Job is going well. Relationships are pretty good. And here's a big one that, that makes us feel this way. When money is plentiful. Have you noticed that when some of those circumstances are present in your life, we can tend to start to feel like we kind of did all that. I, I, I got things going on. I know how to do this life thing. I, I got some good stuff happening. The people of Israel frequently had to be reminded that they were simply tools in God's hand. Their faith was commendable. Their willingness was helpful. Their skill was used by God. But they frequently had to be reminded that they did not accomplish great things in their own power, but by God's power. It was God who turned their weakness to strength. That's what God does. He turns weakness to strength. And Proverbs gives us a principle that we always have to keep in mind when we feel like things are going well, when we feel like we're achieving, we're accomplishing, like we're really getting it done. Proverbs 21, 31, the horse is made ready for the day of battle. But victory rests with the Lord. What this proverb simply is telling us is that we should do all that we can. 
We're, we're, we're not to be uh, slackers. We're not to be uh, lazy. We're not to just sit back and say, well, if God wants to do it, God can do it. We do what we can. We get our horse ready. We suit up for battle. We use our abilities. We proactively go out trying to achieve good and great things in life. But here's what the believer understands. Victory always rests with the Lord. It's always his. You see, every good thing is a gift from God. We do nothing in our own strength. You think about it, we literally do nothing in our own strength. Every breath is a gift from God. Our strength is a gift from God. Our intelligence, such as it is, is a gift from God. That was a funny line, but you missed it. Or it wasn't funny, I'm not sure. We do what we know to do, but victory belongs to the Lord. And so never let us succumb to the illusion of self-sufficiency when everything is going well, but let us realize that even when life is going its very best, we are totally dependent upon God. So by faith, great things were achieved, but also by faith, horrible troubles and injustices were endured. Look at verse 35 again if you have your uh, Bible. All of these great exploits have been shared, these great things that have been accomplished by faith, again, even the dead being raised, and then right in the middle of verse 35, the focus completely shifts. The, just like, man, what a change in direction of this passage. And the author writes, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced years in flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went out in sheepskins and goatskins. This next word just really gets, I mean, I know there's a lot of horrible words in there, torture and stuff like that, but for some reason, this word just really gets my attention, this next one. The people of God, heroes of faith, commended for their great faith, were destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. I want you to know before I go on and, and uh, highlight the, the, the main points I want to make, note this line, the world was not worthy of them. What, what the author is saying here is the world wanted to put an end to them. The world wanted to get rid of them. But God's judgment was just the opposite. God's judgment was that the world was not worthy of these people. And I want you to know this. The author wanted them to know this. When the world rejects you because of Christ, God commends you. God commends you. The problem isn't you. The problem is the world. The word torture in verse 35 comes from a word that initially described the practice 
of stretching a person out very tightly across a rack and then beating their stomach like a drum until they died. Heroes of the faith endured that for the sake of faithfulness to God. Jewish tradition says that the apostate king Manasseh had the prophet Isaiah sawed in two with a wooden saw. Great things achieved by faith, but horrible things, horrible things endured by faith. We have members of this very congregation who have lost family members because of their love for Jesus. They counted the cost. They took up their cross and they followed him. We have members of our church family who have had circumstances that were so painful that the enemy of their soul tried to convince them that God does not care, that God does not hear, that God does not help. And even though their situation did not turn out like they hoped, they have remained faithful to God. By faith, horrible things are endured. The great temptation when troubles and injustices are experienced is the temptation to come to the conclusion that God does not care. By faith, the righteous resist that temptation and they trust God no matter their circumstances. Even when those circumstances include mistreatment, even when those circumstances include destitution, even when those circumstances include torture and death. If your circumstances have you questioning God's love and care for you, let the example of the ancients encourage and inspire you today. And let these words of Scripture encourage you today. Four passages that I just felt like God dropped in my heart to share with you today. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Nahum 1, 7. The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. Psalm 119.50, my comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, troubles, destitution, disease, torture, death, Anything else in all creation, none of it will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God is always with us. He is always loving and caring for us, always providing for us, even in our darkest hours, even when our pain is so great that we are incapable of seeing or feeling God in that moment. 
he is still with us. And so we see in the lives of the heroes of faith that through both great and horrible things, their faith endured. By faith, they could both accomplish great things, and by faith, they could go through the worst things imaginable in life. And this is still the case with faith today. Through both great and horrible things, true faith endures. The author is writing to people facing the temptation to turn from Jesus because, in large part, of the pressures that have come against them. Family pressuring them, family turning against them. Some of them have very possibly been imprisoned for their faith that the author is writing to. And the author is using the example of the ancients to encourage them and inspire them to continue in faith to endure under trial. In most of our experiences of life, there are seasons where we feel that everything is pretty good. Everything's going pretty well. And then there are other seasons where the wheels seem to fall off, troubles surround us, we feel pressed in on all sides. The example of the ancients, these heroes of the faith, is meant to inspire us so that we can know like them that we can continue in faith through both the great times and the really difficult times. That we can even continue in faith if the difficult times last our entire lifetime. Because like Paul, we've learned how to live in plenty and in want. We have learned that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. The last couple verses of chapter 11, verses 39 and 40, uh, are kind of interesting. I think a, a little bit challenging to understand. Uh, personally, I, I think that. But William MacDonald offers this helpful thought on the closing verses of chapter uh, 11. And, and I think this is really the, the core of what we need to take out of those two verses. Here's what he writes. The Old Testament believers did not live to see the advent of the long-promised Messiah or the blessing that would flow out of his ministry. They were not as privileged as we are. Yet think of their thrilling triumphs and their tremendous trials. Think of their exploits and their incredible endurance. They lived on the other side of the cross. We live in the full glory of the cross. Yet how do our lives compare to theirs? This is the challenge of Hebrews 11. He's saying these people hadn't even seen the coming of Jesus. And they endured all of this. We now live on this side of the coming of the Messiah. We know about Jesus. We know about his life and ministry. We're not eyewitnesses like the original followers of Jesus were, but we have, we have read their testimonies and we have seen in a way that these ancients did not see and yet they endured. So what about us? What about us? We have a great advantage over these heroes of faith.
if their faith could endure through all the ups and downs, through some victories and through some horrible experiences, if their faith could endure all of that before the coming of Jesus, then surely those of us who live on this side of the coming of Jesus, our faith should be able to endure. And so he brings us again, the author does, at the end of Hebrews 11 to the same place that he's brought us over and over and over throughout this book. The same place. It's an appeal. Hold on to faith. He's appealing to us. Hold on to faith. Hold on to Jesus. Endure in faith. Don't give up. Don't drift away. Enduring faith pleases God, and enduring faith will receive a great reward from God. Eternal life, all things made right, all things new. If times are good for you right now, keep relying on God. Don't trust in your own strength. If times are bad for you right now, Keep trusting in God's love and care for you. Whether you're in the season of great accomplishments or you're in the season of horrible things happening to your life, endure in faith. Your reward is coming. It really is. Let's stand. 